Hello, and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about Spider-Man, Into the Spider-Verse. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. Uh, on this podcast, we like to talk about games, but also movies, and also TV shows. And we haven't done movies in a while, and there's a billion movies coming out. Yeah. So... This is when it starts to get. This is when it starts to get meaty and fun. Uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has come out over the weekend um, to very rave reviews. Everybody seems to be talking about it. Uh, I feel like the the official sort of drought that we have had um, f- for like movies between kind of like the end of the summer in August and the beginning of now. Uh, is officially over with into the into the Spider Verse kind of like paving the way, I guess I would say. Um, and uh, and so yeah, so what did what did you think? Hit me with those. I guess the spoiler free thoughts first. Spoiler free uh, spoiler free thoughts. I thought it was a great movie. Um, I think you should definitely see it if you're a fan of Spider Man. Um, I think there it might be a little bit worse if you're not generally familiar with the Spider Man mythos. Um, but we can talk about that in the spoilery section. But regardless, I think it's a good movie. I think it's a funny movie, um, and I really enjoyed it. Uh, what about you? Uh, I think it's the best Spider-Man movie ever, which is big talk from me, as I am sure everyone... Well, it's kind of simultaneously big talk and small talk. Um, as I'm sure everyone remembers, um, I think Spider-Man 2 is, like, one of the greats, right? Like, it is one of the classic great best movies that came out of that early 2000s period um and it's amazing and everything is really good about it and it's a perfect movie and all these other sorts of things i cannot lavish enough praise on spider-man 2 but i think into the spider-verse in the same way by the way that i think you know i've said this before where like it makes sense that as we progress over time we get better at making films right into the Spider-Verse is standing on the shoulders of, you know, the Sam Raimi movies and everything kind of along those lines. But it is insanely good. And I am kind of continuously flabbergasted at how good this movie became. Um, Because Sony is just not a studio that does good things with (laughs) Spider-Man. Like This is the same studio that two months ago brought us Venom. (laughs) Yeah, but, but, you know... we, we loved Venom, buddy, <laughs> so, you know. We, I mean, I, gonna... I loved Venom, but I loved it because it was awful, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like... Yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, um, uh, so, yeah, um, I don't... <sighs> Best Spider-Man movie ever. Um, See, I for, de- you, uh, for you, that's Homecoming, right? Um, so, it might be this movie. Um, it might be Homecoming. I think it's tough. So, I think in terms of, like... Best Spider-Man movie. I'm going to give it to this movie. In terms of best superhero movie, primarily featuring Spider-Man, I might give it to Homecoming, which is like a weird kind of like hair to split. But like, it's it, they're they're different they're different enough that I I do want to split that hair a little bit. Um, it's it's definitely I it's definitely very good and you know regardless of whether I not I put it a point in above Homecoming or not it's still um, a movie that I, I very much enjoyed and I think that uh, I, I think that the distinction at some point is meaningless and so you know I, I'm gonna say it's, it's a great movie so you know 
yeah so i definitely think it is uh i definitely think it's spectacular i definitely think it's amazing um i think it deserves the hype uh and it deserves the praise um and i'm really interested in it for a couple of different like reasons when they first came out of the movie because i saw it with rachel i was a little like i didn't really even have i didn't have a point of view in a way i was just kind of like wow what a great movie that i can't think of you know what i mean i like there is just nothing for me to grasp onto it's this perfect spherical object that i just want to say yes it is good and i can't really articulate why but as i kind of took as i took some time to think about it it really kind of uh blossomed shall we say and very interested in uh in kind of the juxtaposition between the two of us. But I feel like if we're going to get into that conversation, we're going to have to talk about spoilers. Yeah. So no. we should probably give a spoiler warning to all of you yeah. lovely lords and ladies at home. My, my last pre-spoiler thing I'm going to say is I don't think it's a perfect movie. Um, uh, but we'll get into that in the spoiler section. So, you know, don't don't come expecting, like, the Citizen Kane of Spider-Man movies, I guess. But, you know, it's still very good. Um, so I'm going to – so big spoiler warning here. Um, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers. If you haven't seen Spider- Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, for God's sake, go see Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Um, don't get spoiled by us because, uh, uh, although I don't think the movie would be terribly ruined if you were spoiled on it, I think it's better if you're not. So, you know, go away. Uh, that's your warning. Uh, spoilers in three, two, one, go. All right. Uh, so- okay, so my big thing with this movie that I think is interesting is in a way it's kind of like, two movies at once like for two different audiences i guess is what i mean like if you're somebody who's like intimately familiar with the spider-man mythos there aren't a ton of kind of like surprises in here right there's a couple of them olivia octavius right is going to is going to come out of left field for everybody but i feel but i felt very well equipped to kind of like predict a lot of these plot twists i guess i would call them um in a way that, like, and I was my comparison point at the time was Rachel because she, you know, she's seen the Spider-Man movies, isn't like insane about Spider-Man, um, and so a lot of stuff in the movie that happened, I was able to, like, I knew before it happened, but other people in the theater were still like, oh, about it or whatever, which I thought was like a very cool thing because sometimes I can find that that feeling to be a little bit like trite, like you can just it, like the movie is derivative of the comics or whatever, right. you can just predict the whole thing end to end or whatever. Um, but it still kind of like had me, it still kind of like had me going, I guess, which I thought was pretty like neat um, and interesting. Uh, and uh, and so I wanted to ask like like which of the big like plot twists, shall we say, did you see coming? Right, like, did you know, like, did you get the the first Peter Parker that we're introduced is not the, not, like, the one we're going to spend the movie with? I mean, I knew that from the previews. Um, yeah, I, I was thinking that, like, it, yeah. it was kind of, like, from the trailers. Yeah, um, I, like, you know, um, I actually didn't know that we were, like, the most surprising thing to me about that was that we even saw this Peter, that we saw him die. I thought, like, I wasn't expecting that going into the movie, but, of course, as soon as... Um, we get into it, we see that he's there. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to, get, to call back, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants. I thought they did a great job of playing directly off of the Sam Raimi movies um, with, mm. with, with that Peter's introduction. Um, that Peter was supposed to be, uh, or wait, maybe not that Peter. Well, one of the Peters was supposed to be voiced by Tobey Maguire, but then they got Chris Pine to do it, I guess. Uh, um, wouldn't yeah. that have been a trip, though? Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah, no, that would have been, been great, just because... Uh, 
you know, like they, they do the part where, you know, like they do the dancing thing. Right. And, and yeah, like, we don't talk about that. Like, I thought that was great. Um, uh, what else? Um, like, like I kind of figured out the, the Prowler thing. Um, but that was like more like movie logic than it was me knowing the mythos. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. That it was his uncle. Um, and, uh, what else is in there? Um, I don't know. I didn't see Olivia Octavius coming. I didn't even know that, like, Olivia Octavius was, like, a, a character. Yeah, um, as far as I know, that is not a thing. Okay. Um, that was one of the ones that kind of, like, caught me. Well, not not quite, because in the same way, like, the movie logic thing, um, I was... <sighs> this is going to sound kind of crazy, but she was very defined by octagons, which I thought was interesting. No. Um, and what happened, and, and it kind of created this like funny, like, I, I, I want to say like, <laughs> I want to like brag about it to a certain extent, essentially. So when the, the light fixture that Spider-Man gets stuck to, that Miles gets stuck to is two octagons nested in one another. Right. And I remember thinking, because I saw that her glasses were also octagons and I was like, oh, that's neat the her her octagon glasses are reflected in like the octagon lights of her office and then that just kind of carried me from the octa yeah, to yeah. to be to wow that's actually kind of funny that she's a lot like Otto Octavius but i didn't really get all the way yeah, there yeah, to yeah. be like she is a gender swapped version of Otto Octavius you know what i mean yeah yeah um yeah um i didn't know that um, Gwen State Gwen Spider Spider Gwen was going to be in the movie, so uh, I didn't see that coming. Uh, like I didn't see her being a spider person until it yeah. happened. Um, okay. I mean, like as soon as like I saw the costume, I knew who it was. Right. Like. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think the movie was pretty obvious about that stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, like, that was just, like, a thing I guess I had missed. I didn't watch... The only kind of preview that I paid attention to for this was the one at the end of uh, Venom. Um, so, like, that's kind of, like, the baseline of the information I had. Like, I didn't know that's, that uh, that uh, that Norse Spider-Man was going to be in it, much less that it was going to be voiced by Nick Cage. And that was that was a great fucking surprise, because I love, I love the aesthetic of Norse Spider-Man. I haven't actually read it, but, like, that just kind of, like... Like, I, like I'm, I'm a sucker for, like, those those kind of, like, pulpy, nori things. Um, yeah, as yeah, you might yeah, be yeah. able to tell from our from from the uh, the the campaign pitch me episode, um, so I, I was happy about that. Um, uh, what what else in there? Oh, I also didn't know that uh, Spider Pig was or Peter Porker was voiced by John Mulaney. Um, that was a, that was a fun surprise, but uh, plot wise, I don't think there were a lot. Like it wasn't like a, a super. It wasn't like a super twisty plot, so it's not like there was a lot to like su- get surprised by there, um, other than like the, the stuff we talked about. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, uh, yeah, it, yeah. I definitely, I, I thought that 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 was a super. I thought that like that was like a super neat thing because, like, for instance, I knew so the, so Ultimate Spider-Man, which is kind of what this is all based on, right? right. Um, came out in the early 2000s and was, like, the thing that got me into comics. Like, my local library staffed a couple of, stocked up a couple of um, 
like trade paperbacks of Ultimate Spider-Man, and I was like immediately hooked. Um, and then after you know like 150 or some odd issues, you know, um, Ultimate Spider-Man being kind of just from a premise level a like a reimagining new continuity kind of fresh continuity take on like the Spider-Man story. Um, so like Peter Parker is like a teenager in the early 2000s, and Aunt May is a lot younger. Um, and, you know, just, like, other, you know, like, other things about that, right? Like, so, for instance, you know that dragon monster in the beginning? So, that's Norman Osborn. Did you know that? Well, the, the goblin? The, the green goblin? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I knew that because I know that Norman Osborn is generally the green goblin. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, that is a reference to the ultimate version of the green goblin who does become, like, a big crazy monster, like a dragon monster sort of thing. Okay. Um... Because he takes, like, a super soldier serum. That's, like, a big premise for the Ultimate Universe is everyone is trying to, like, replicate Captain America's super soldier serum with, like, genetic technology and shit like that. Um, and uh, whereas, like, in the main universe, Norman Osborn... I think Norman Osborn took, like, a super soldier serum, but he's just a normal guy and he wears a costume and he throws gadgets and shit like that. Um... Anyway, after, like, 150 issues or something like that, Miles Morales is introduced. Peter Parker dies, and Miles Morales is introduced. This is, this is also how I knew that that Peter Parker was 100% a dead boy. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, Because, like, Miles is, in, like, part of Miles' journey to becoming Spider-Man from the Ultimate Comics was about confronting the death of Peter Parker in a really public way. Like, that whole funeral scene... Uh, was, like, word for word from the comics. Even, like, shot for shot from the comics, to be honest with you. Um, like, even that, like, same church, which I think is a famous church in New York. But it it is, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, I, I, like, I knew that that was a thing that was going to happen, too, right? Like, I, I, I do not know a lot about the comics, but, like, I yeah. actually didn't know that Peter Parker was ever alive in the Ultimate Universe. I thought the Ultimate Universe started at kind of, like, the Mar Miles Morales point, because that's the only terms I'd ever heard it about was about... Yeah, um, that's when it got, like, big and famous. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, uh... And so, like, all of that stuff was, like, really, like, deeply ingrained. And also, like, the Uncle Aaron is Prowler thing, right? Like, that was that was all in there from the beginning. And that stuff is actually really great. And I thought that they captured it really well in the movie because, like, part of it is that... And the part that I love about it is that it is, like, a really ambivalent kind of situation because Uncle Aaron is like, a legitimate criminal, and he's, like, pretty ruthless and, and rough, right? But he is also the only person that can, like, you know, that understands Miles and that, like, encourages Miles to express himself and stuff like that. And so, like, there is some real ambivalence about, like, that character in general um, that I thought the movie, like, hit on very well, um, comparatively speaking. Yeah, no, um, I, th I thought the character was really well done. Um... I also feel like a lot of that has to do with Mahershala Ali, who is like continually the best, <laughs> like the best person in Hollywood. Oh, is is he the voice for for? Yeah, uh, he is the he's the voice. There's a lot of interesting voices in here. Yes, um, like the Chris Pine one was. I mean, I, I I sort of knew it from the trailer, obviously, but like Chris Pine is also just like a really good idea for like a Spider-Man that has his shit together. Like even if that Spider-Man was voiced by Jake Johnson. Um, which I think would have been wrong because Jake Johnson is like the slovenly Spider-Man uh, and Chris Pine would be like the hunky Spider-Man or whatever. It was very clear from the story that we were getting, like the words on the page, that there is something a little bit wrong with this like life, you know. Spider-Man is not that successful. You know, he yeah. is not that well-adjusted. He makes, 
you know, mistakes and he has all of these problems. And so like, even just like, even if I was like reading closed captioned instead of, you know, uh, instead of hearing the voice to tell they were different, I feel like, you know, we would have been able to call uh, that there's something fishy about this introduction to Spider-Man. Yeah, no, and, and pe- people talk about like that, like that's kind of like the endear, like the the enduring popularity of Spider-Man is that he's just kind yeah. of like a normal dude with normal problems. Um, uh, yeah, so I, I, I definitely get that. Um, uh, something uh, else, kind of along those lines, I wanted to call out um, is that this, this movie is very visually stunning. Like the art is is, is yep. fucking phenomenal, especially in the areas where like they they do like little crossover bits, right? Like um, you're like. Uh, Peter Porker and uh, and, uh, and and Spider Noir Noir Spider Man um, having their own uh, having their own styles as well as uh, Penny Parker having like the uh, the, the kind of anime stylings um, was a little bit um, disappointed there. I don't like I have not read that you know th- those comics, but my understanding uh-huh. is that like she was always supposed to be kind of like a um, uh, like a reference to Evangelion and like um like basically the things that I had heard is that it is like it in, in evoking that it kind of evokes like kind of what's fucked up about that series and obviously there's none of that um in uh in in Penny Sheets more like a puffy puffy Amy Yumi type character. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Which is fine for the movie, but it's 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 just a little disappointing because like I'm slightly more familiar with Evangelion and Evangelion um Penny Parker in this movie is not um, uh, like her dad being part of the suit is straight up like a, 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 a frankly a big spoiler for Evangelion. Um, uh, uh, and it's got like a lot of like weird implications in that show. So just kind of being like a goofy little thing here was was yeah. I feel like they just <laughs> I kind of feel like the, those three obviously yeah. with Peter Porker it is like one hundred percent comedy one hundred percent of the time. Yeah, but like. Even, like, noir Spider-Man. Like, noir Spider-Man is, like, a real story with, like, a serious character and serious stakes. And here it is just played for laughs. All three of those characters are essentially just played for laughs. Um, yeah. The only characters with real drama to them are Peter, Gwen, and Miles. Right. Um, yeah. Um, and even then, I think that, like, like, I feel like Gwen doesn't get so... Like, so, if you want to talk about things that I thought weren't perfect about this movie, I thought that, like... Miles didn't have enough time. Like his arc happened really, really quickly in a way that I wasn't super satisfied with. Like, oh, interesting. Like he goes from being like locked up in the room to like, you know, being a badass in like two minutes. It feels like, and I felt like that it needed just a little bit more, more time in there, um, to really to to, to really send it home. I don't know how I would have changed it, but it just felt very short. Um, it felt like, like essentially that you had the two competing storylines. You had Miles' storyline and you had like kind of like the overarching problem um, of the, the trans-dimensional stuff that like that uh, is a separate storyline. Um, yeah. And so I thought that, uh, I, th- I thought that they, they just, like that Miles' storyline just didn't get enough time in kind of like that middle phase where he's like going through like the, the actual character development. Um, I didn't think it made the movie terrible. It's just the thing that I thought was, was, was not as good. Um you have any thoughts on that? Um, I thought 
Um, okay. I guess I kind of agree. I, I think the big thing is that a lot of it feels a little bit derivative, which is sort of fine because it's kind of a kid's movie. But, like, this is, a, you know, this is, like, an arc I've seen a gazillion times. Um, and... I don't know. Part of me, part of me just wants to like deconstruct the entire question. Like I really don't think movies, I think perfect movies are a little bit of like a figment and that like, I'm pretty fine in, in accepting these flaws. Um, that doesn't, that doesn't really like bother me all that much. So yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess I agree. That makes sense. Does that. I still think like the movie is, you know, amazing and it's the best Spider-Man movie and all these other sorts of things. Um, but I guess I would kind of agree with that. Yeah, no, that's, you know, like, I'm not looking for you to, to be like, you know, it was, you know, uh, again, I, I think I agree with you that, like, there's no such thing as a, as, as a perfect movie. But um, I, I do believe in, in kind of, like, pointing to flaws where, where I see them. Um, yeah, no, that makes sense, yeah. Um, uh, similarly, like, I, I thought that, like, maybe this is, like, more, more of this kid's movie stuff you're talking about, but, like, because of... Because of like the the nature of the movie, like um, like Miles, I think wanted an arc because he's ostensibly the main character, and I think everybody mm -hmm. like I think um, Gwen and and uh, Peter B. Parker got like kind of like half arcs that like I would have been fine with them just kind of being like whatever arcs. Wait, Peter. So you don't think Peter, the real Peter, got an arc? Like, or sorry, the, the Peter B. Parker got an arc. No, I thought he got an arc. I just thought it was also like very abbreviated, right? Like, I thought really, that, yeah. Like, I thought that like, um, like because we we never see him actually like address his problems with Mary Jane, right? Like, he only addresses them in like the persona of a waiter with like, like not his Mary Jane, um, which is fine, right? Like, it's a thing that I, like, for a secondary character, that's about the amount of arc I expected for him. It just feels like because Miles didn't get get the arc that I thought he, like, the, the fullness of the arc that I wanted out of it, it kind of pulled those into relief as also things that were, like, again, fine for what they were, which were secondary characters. Um, but it, it, it kind of highlights it, if that makes sense, right? Like, See, I uh, man, I think I disagree with that. Specifically because I actually really like that about the movie, that it doesn't need to explain it to you, right? This is a movie about Peter, you know, having weird commitment issues with his wife about being a father and about having kids. And he, over the course of essentially parenting Miles, he gets to the other side of that issue and it just ends with, you know, all you need is him standing on her doorstep and saying hi again and reconnecting with her in order to like fill in the subtext of yeah peter had issues with kids and now he, i mean he, they they make a joke about it because he says somewhere he's like wait do i want to be a father you know like yeah and i feel and that's all you need i feel like like and i and i was glad that it didn't it didn't feel the need to be like you know to include another minute and a half of peter being like oh mary jane I I now know I want to be a father so bad. No, no, like, so, you know so, what I mean? so I I I absolutely agree with you, right? Like like I said, like I think if this movie was Peter B. Parker's movie, you'd get more of it because more of the attention would be on him, and it'd be like basically his entire like the the whole story would be his story, and okay, um, and like I like I said, I I don't think it's a problem for him. It's just a thing that I think gets like like. 
I could feel that more, especially at, like um, I think this is also more true for Gwen Stacy because her story, her arc was essentially like in her like intro, she says, um, "I don't do friends anymore," and then she like becomes friends with Miles, which is like the yeah. the, the the tamest like like the the, the like. N- I want to say it's nothing, but like it, it, it feels very kind of like, you know, very. It yeah, feels no, very I nothing. Um, I, the reason, by the way, that that is you. Can, the, the reason for that is actually very structural. Um, she never has to uh, like grapple with her with her problem in a way. Yeah. Like she pretty effortlessly folds into the team, and it's not like she ever goes through a thing like I promised myself I would never have friends, and then like dips out or something like that. Um, whereas with Peter B. Parker, he does spend a good amount of time being like, no, Miles, no, I'm not doing this. We're not, you know, like, this is not happening. Um, and he, and like that whole thing at like the lab or whatever is basically one giant set piece to establish, well, at the beginning of this, Peter was really dismissive of Miles and not actually, you know, uh, and not actually fulfilling whatever promise he kind of makes, um, to, okay, Miles is okay at this, but more importantly, Peter is actually okay with this. Right? Okay. And I thought like all of that stuff was pretty great, and pretty solid. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, I buy that. I buy that. Um, uh, but yeah, I definitely agree when it comes to when it comes to Spider Gwen, Spider Gwen, uh, that she did not get the same sort of uh, like the same sort of treatment. Um, I appreciate that it was just friends, and that it wasn't like. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, was, I thought it was going to be like it was going to be like mushier, and they were going to end up like tongue fucking. It's a kids movie, buddy. Um, I mean, it is. I know, but like kids, you know, it's yeah. it's like a teenage kids movie. Yeah, yeah you're, right, like, you're right. I mean, there were definitely those undertones there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? Uh, so something I wanted to ask you is. Um, why is Miles' dad named Jefferson Davis? Is there, like, a reason for that? You know, I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Let's like, look this up real quick. Because <laughs> it comes up in the Spider-Man game as well. Miles features in that game um, very lowly. Like, he gets bit towards the end of, 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 the, of the Spider-Man PS4 game. You know what's actually very funny is I do remember him being named Jefferson Davis. But I kind of don't remember ever questioning it myself. <laughs> like I feel like I feel like this is something where like I learned that his he is Officer Davis and that his first name is Jefferson, but like never put the two together and like heard it in my head that his name was Jefferson <laughs> Davis. It's like it's like but, it's, it's too specific a name for it like not to mean something, right? Like no, I yeah. mean obviously you know it's 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 the uh, president of the con- Confederacy. It's just like it's. You don't. You know, it's funny. And I, I just looked it up on like the Marvel wiki, and it just as under trivia, Jefferson Davis shares the name with a favorite with a famous Confederate States of America leader. That's it. <laughs> like, it just points it out. I really have no idea because Miles Morales, obviously, like he came about in the like the 2010s. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. This is a very modern thing from a very modern guy. Uh, you know, he was created by a guy named Brian Michael Bendis, who's the person who first started writing Ultimate Spider-Man and, you know, wrote Peter Parker to his death and then introduced Miles for the first time. Did, did um, you uh, yeah. did you catch that B. Bendis was a contact on the uh, on his phone? 
Oh, I did not catch that. I knew he like executive produced the movie. He got like you know like I think he got like the Stanley credit you know of being an executive producer because he created the character. But uh, that's it. That's clever. I always miss little shit like that. I feel like I never catch up on it. I mean, I miss the octagons thing. So you know, you you got me on that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, speak, speaking of uh, of Stanley, I thought that his um like uh, I guess I guess mostly coincidentally, it was like a fitting kind of cameo for him to be in like right after his his passing for it to be like yeah i know him. that hit me that hit yeah, me yeah. in a way that like i was like whoa this is like the last stan lee cameo i'm ever gonna yeah. see i don't know if that's true i think i think yeah, i read somewhere I that he might be in either. that he might have had a couple like he might have had endgame recorded before uh that happened but you know the fact that he's talking about the death of spider-man in kind of ways that like like you couldn't have written it like I like it is so like perfect a kind of send off for Stan Lee himself, right? Like if you imagine it's Spider-Man talking about Stan Lee, it fits just as well that I can't like, you know, part of me went me like, did they like know he was going to die and have him record it like this? So it would be like this fitting. Um, but I thought it was, I, I thought it was, it, it was, uh, it was great. Yeah. It's kind of like a grim thought. Like yeah. Very, I mean, a very morbid thought. Like sure. every filmmaker who's getting a Stan Lee cameo is like, okay, we have to put a ton of gravitas in this, <laughs> you know, because this could be the last one, you guys, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's yeah. insane. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I super, I super sort of feel that. I was actually really happy with the way that they kind of focused on Miles' like, you know, Brooklyn kind of life. Yeah. Um, even just like the little thing at the end where he's going through his old school and like high fiving everyone, and then he goes to his new school and he's like a super out of, you know, yeah, yeah, fish out, out of water. his element kind of nerd. And then at the very end, as Spider Man, he's like high fiving everyone again. I thought that that was like a, a cute little visual metaphor. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I buy that. Um, I do, and I do with, you know, so I, I, in a certain sense, I kind of think we're beating around the bush. I think that, like, the structure of the movie and everything is great and all that, but really what sells it are these visuals. Yeah. Like, there is so much to the way that this movie was animated that I feel like was beyond spectacular and really awesome and really good. And not just in, like, a visceral way, but in, like, a really, like, thoughtful yeah. kind of, you know, like, in a really sort of, like, thoughtful way. Like, I think some of the things that they set up are only possible specifically through the animation style that they had kind of adopted into in the first place, if that makes sense, right? Um, I don't really know what I would call this from, like, an analytical point of view. Like, I want to say it's surreal or, like, hyper-real or something like that. But the fact that they are not going for realism, I think, means uh, makes a huge yeah. difference um, and is sort of, like, allows me to... Um, ride the roller coaster a lot better um, than than like other movies that are that do sort of shoot for realism. Um, I just watched Coco on Netflix, which uh, I uh, I hadn't seen in theaters. It's like the Pixar movie about uh, a Mexican boy on the Day of the Dead who kind of like passes over to to like the other side or whatever. But something about that movie that really kind of like bugged me to a certain extent was how much they wanted it to look like actual Spain. Like, it is cartoonish in the sense that they're, you know, like, 
they all have like these huge eyes and their proportions don't make any sense or no, all that stuff like but like you know this isn't we're no longer in the world of like toy story or like a bug's life anymore or even like finding nemo um when you know you when you have movies like inside out or movies like um uh movies like coco that are like trying to depict or accurately depicting you know uh, real people in, like living sort of like real lives and there's some like weird dissonance to that sort of for me like it's like it's almost like an uncanny valley thing where I want it to be a little bit more shades of gray and abstract and cartoony yeah um, and this is a movie that is very like cartoony right and I was never for an instant bothered by a giant dragon holding spider-man in a crazy multi-dimensional beam or anything like that or even just like you know the looney tunes logic that drives spider-ham versus the anime style of uh penny parker right like or uh is that her name it's penny i believe yeah yeah whatever okay whatever um you know like i was we were primed to accept those differing animation styles brought into this movie i feel like just because it does things like add you know stress lines when people get hit or something like that or like even small things right like the fact that the masks themselves move and emote that's obviously completely unrealistic right right? like Outside of Civil War, which I have to say, I really appreciate that Civil War did this. I think this is a very core part of sort of the visual language of Spider-Man is his ability to, like, increase and decrease the size of his eyes um, and kind of emote a little bit with those eyes. Otherwise, you do sort of, like, run into some problems. Um, but, like, that is is expressly a hyper-real thing, right? Like, it is a it is a part of the cartoonish aspect of, um, of this stuff. Um, and I feel like... If we hadn't had such a good ground level basis in those sorts of things, just by the animation style setting us up for that, when Peter Porker, when Spider Man Noir, uh, you know, like when these all of these other Spider Men exist in the in the same universe with their different animation styles, I feel like that would have been a lot more like jarring. Yeah, no, I, I, I think I think I agree with you. Um, like I agree with you pretty much one hundred percent. Um, that uh, you know, it's it's not like uh, like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? Like where where like that contrast is supposed to be part of it. It, it like it's yeah close enough that you can appreciate the contrast, but like it's not so far that it feels it feels like that's like this is not like cartoons invading on the real world. This is like slightly different shades of the same kind, like you know, this variations yeah, of the same type the, of cartoon. Because it you know, like one of the things about Who Framed Roger Rabbit is that it is cartoons and realism in a binary right yeah but this is shades of gray right because there is no realism really there's noir there's anime there's looney tunes there's you know uh i guess i would say that gwen peter and miles all kind of have like the same fundamental art style um yeah i would agree um, but I think that, yeah, but if, if there's anything about this movie that makes it above and beyond and special and spectacular, it is those aspects of it. I mean, they kind of spoiled it in the trailer, but I was really, like, moved by the shot of Peter, or I'm sorry, Miles jumping off the building and falling down, but from the movie, like, but the movie is upside down, so he's falling up into the city. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I think that shot is great. On I the agree. big screen, um, 
and there's a lot of like and there's a lot of that kind of stuff uh, that that worked really well. I, I agree one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, uh, kind of in that vein. Something something again. This is gonna be like a comic book trivia thing, but is Kingpin like like Kingpin's always kind of like weirdly like he's a big dude, but like maybe like unnaturally big. Is 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 he like supposed to be something special in Ultimate, or is he just like? Um, so, by the way, the Ultimate Kingpin is the best version of Kingpin, fight me. One of the best parts about Ultimate Kingpin that's my favorite um, thing about it is that, um, uh, well, whatever. I'll, th that is another piece of trivia that I think is just cool, and I'm really sad they didn't use it because it is, like, literally the best Spider-Man thing ever. But, uh, yeah, he's definitely, like, a big guy. Like, he's huge. Right. Um, and the Ultimate Universe um, is... So, one of the cool things about the Ultimate Spider-Man is that it was written and penciled by the same pair. Um for over a hundred issues, for like a hundred and twenty issues, they actually set the record for like the longest like writer artist pairing. They took it from um, Stanley and Jack Kirby on the Fantastic Four in the sixties, um, and it was by Brian Michael Bendis and a guy named Mark Bagley, who's a great great artist. But he is very kind of like cartoony. Um, and if you would look up any of his, uh, like any of his art from this stuff, a lot of his art actually gets used as promotional art. Like when you see like Spider-Man, um, on a lunchbox or something, like a lot of the times it is a Mark Bagley Spider-Man. Okay. Um, and F Wilson Fisk in that universe is like huge, right? Like he is a giant guy. Um, he, cr his, his hand is so big, um, in like the, in the comic that he holds an entire, a guy's whole head inside of his two hands and he crushes it right so like he is he is huge and he is like a looming kind of like a domineering presence um it is not quite in that like <sighs> he's not like the question is is more like is it like a superpower-esque thing or is he just like a big normal guy no he's just like a big normal guy okay. in the ultimate comics i felt like in the in the movie um that he was also a normal guy, but it was like stylistic in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, like you know, because they gave him that small face and that like just pitch black suit. Um, yeah, in it, order to kind of like make him wash over the entire screen. You know what I mean? Yeah, and his head—he like basically his like head is part of his torso. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, yeah. it's 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 I don't know. Kingpin has always been weird to me because like like he's always been like a dude that like. I'm never quite sure if he's supposed to be like, like if he's supposed to have like some aspect of like super superness to him because he's always like so much stronger and so much bigger than like what you would conceive of a normal person. Um, uh -huh. It's just it's just a, a weird thing about Kingpin the the character, which I think is 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 neat. Like I think it speaks to a lot of kind of like what superheroes are, which is like you know even the normal people are a little bit are, are a little bit different. Um, um, but it also kind of, like, translates weird when you, like, whenever you do a kingpin that isn't in an animated form, like, uh, an animated form, it's it's weird, because, like, you know, like Vincent D'Onofrio, I think, was an excellent um, Wilson Fisk. I don't know if he was a great kingpin, if, if that makes sense, um, uh, in, in the Daredevil uh, Marvel series. I just don't think you can, yeah. be, because, like, because of this realism thing that we've been talking about with, with the animation style, um, I don't think Wilson, or kingpin, rather, translates well into like a, a live action format because um, if you make him big like it's obvious that like something's different about him and if the answer is no he's just big even though you've animated him to be it's it's kind of like um it's kind of like honestly the warcraft movie right like like the hu regular humans look weird next to the cg um 
orcs. Like, orcs. Like yeah, yeah, a, a Wilson that. Fisk of appropriate size would, would look weird. Um, I actually really did thing. like Michael Clark uh, Duncan in the 2004 Daredevil movie, which I know is a very like unpopular opinion. Everybody hates that movie, but um, I thought he was probably the best kingpin you're ever going to get in live action. Even though I like Vincent D'Onofrio, and I think if Michael Clark Duncan was reading all of Vincent D'Onofrio's lines in that series, it would have been a more true kind of like kingpin. But like, there's really no better visual signifier of the kingpin than uh, Michael Clark Duncan was. Um, I don't think I ever saw the the original Daredevil, so I can't really. Uh, that. Do you ever see the Green Mile? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I know who Michael yeah. Clark Duncan is. Oh, yeah, okay, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so I, I get Cause that because you know, like I he's big, yeah. uh, and he's bulky, right? Because that's like another part of it yeah, is yeah. like the sort of like the bulk of the kingpin, um, and um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I love the kingpin. I think the kingpin is one of the great. Uh, one of the neat things about the Ultimate Universe is that because like. It, it kind of got to cherry-pick continuity. It sort of ended up doing a, a few different sort of like... There were kind of like three parallel storylines. One of them was Norman Osborn, right? And Peter's relationship to Norman Osborn. The second one was the king... Was Spider-Man slash Peter's relationship to the Kingpin. Um, and the third one was kind of Venom, um, who is much different in the Ultimate Universe and uh, and kind of like related to Peter's father and stuff like that. But so the interesting thing about Kingpin in the Ultimate Universe is that like he is the person that kind of sticks it to Peter the most. He Peter never gets real solid victories against the Kingpin. He finds a videotape. Like a whole arc is about Peter getting the videotape of Wilson Fisk murdering a guy, right, and submitting it to, um, and, like, submitting it to, like, the police and getting Wilson Fisk uh, um, arrested. But then, like, you know, he buys off the judges or whatever the case may be and gets it thrown out as, like, doctored evidence or something kind of along those lines. You know, it, 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 like, there are, there are always these kind of, like, half measures um, when it comes to, or, like, half victories. But the best one is that... Um, Spider-Man is trying to take down, like, the Kingpin's, like, operations, like, insofar as he's making money. And so he successfully disfigures Wilson Fisk's criminal enterprise, right, um, where he forces Kingpin out of the game, like, out of crime entirely just because, like, things are too hot. And Kingpin goes to the wrestling company. Do you remember how in the first Spider-Man movie he's a wrestler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pulled from the Ultimate Comics. He goes to the wrestling company that had the that featured the very first appearance of Spider-Man, buys the wrestling company, and starts making Spider-Man merch because he owns the licensing right to Spider-Man as the as the wrestling character that he first appeared as, right? And so, and then Peter gets fucking pissed about this, and he goes to King like the Kingpin's house, and the Kingpin is like, "Well, you took." my you know like you took my criminal empire from me so i needed to make back that money and i figured why not buy the rights to you so no matter how much money you ever cost me just by you being you i will always make more right and stuff like that that like really sells the kingpin to me um in a way that i think is like really cool and interesting and i actually kind of feel like if i if i you know if I were to quibble with this movie, I think that that was the coolest opportunity that they had to do stuff with that Kingpin character. And they kind of just went for this sort of trite, multiple universe Vanessa thing that I thought was kind of like, 
it was like okay you know it got a, it was fine uh i i can't complain about it really it's just like because i'm so well acquainted with like the relationship in the comics um i am sad that it wasn't what that could have been so i i actually liked it but i want to point out that i think that this is a point where like you need to know who Kingpin is to some extent, right? Like, I'm no expert, but yeah. I know, like, the general arc of what a Kingpin looks like. For it to really hit home that this is, like, I don't know, in some ways a humanizing moment for the Kingpin, right? Like, this isn't a thing that he's doing as one of his business schemes. This is a thing he's doing because um, he's hurting, right? Like, because cause he, he is a person with real emotions. And I, I enjoyed that, even though it didn't go too deep into it but like it's it's you know it's um one of those things where you know like you know the best villains are the ones that kind of like um you know are, are like ref- reflections of uh of of your uh, how do I want to are reflections of, of your own conflicts and like you know you know his yearning to get to get to uh to, to get to Vanessa is kind of like uh, you know, it's, it's mirrored in Peter B. Parker uh, yeah. a, a little lot in, in some ways, and it, it's it's uh, kind of mirrored in in all of the like you know. I, I think one of the, the the best moments of the uh, of the movie was I mean, kind of like small way was Peter mm-hmm. Peter meeting up with Aunt May because like they had both lost their respective versions of each other, and you know like um, the moment where he says like I'm not ready for this was I, I think incredibly like incredibly real you know in a way that yeah. like I, I i wasn't expecting um uh i thought that was uh i thought it was really touching i thought it was really well really well done um, yeah i mean this is this is what i mean like i can't complain about like the wilson fisk we got i think that is also very core wilson fisk um he is very motivated in the ultimate comics even by his like love for vanessa and all that stuff so i'm, I'm definitely kind of like on board with the portrayal that we got um but I just I like I I want I I seriously recommend to people if you want a new thing to like read get Marvel Unlimited and start at issue one of Ultimate Spider-Man by Brian Michael Bendis and, Mag- and Mark Bagley and read it end to end because like the arc and all of the stuff that the Kingpin goes through with Peter is like some of the best comic storytelling it is just so good and like so extra and i love it um and i and i was a little bit disappointed that i didn't get like that i didn't get that stuff on screen it's it, like it, honestly it's kind of just I, like asking you to have your cake and eat it too you need a lot more setup for that to work this kingpin clearly wasn't even all that concerned like they he it was much more about the alternate universe shit yeah. you know what i mean than it was about uh that it was about like the relationship between him and spider-man even in the same way that like and this is kind of like the marvel structure in a way so i kind of understand why they went for it but like the core relationship is between peter and miles right it's not between miles and kingpin kingpin is really kind of um you know he's there he's motivated um but you know he's just eh, like he kind of isn't super important in the overall scheme of things um outside of creating the core conceit of like the movie the core relationship is between you know uh is between peter and miles and i think it is well you know it is absolutely the right target to hit to aim for that yeah um yeah uh just it's kind of in that vein um uh so so the the 
the these things that you are pointing to, like I don't know all of them, but I know some of them, right? Like I am generally familiar with some of the Spider-Man mythos, and you know I've heard takes that, like you know, I, I've heard people saying that they think that this is the best Spider-Man movie, um, uh, but they're all like big fans of Spider-Man. And the thing that I am wondering about is someone who is like very unfamiliar, right? Like they basically just know that Spider-Man is a superhero. That's like a spider, right? Like, you know, like, you, you know, like the kind of like two sentence description and they've maybe like, you know, they, they don't know the lore too much. I wonder if this movie is going to resonate with them as much, um, which is kind of why in, in the pre-spoiler thing I said, you know, I, I was trying to split the hairs between this and Homecoming because um, I don't know if this is like the easiest entry point if you don't know at least something about Spider-Man, right? Like even Lampoon it, right? Like you've heard it, you, you yeah. know, you've heard it before or whatever. Um, um, so I think it is, um, I don't know. I just feel like at this point it is baked into the popular consciousness enough such that the answer to that question is essentially there aren't many people like that anymore, right? In the same way that, like, nobody, you know, like, in the same way that people complain in Batman vs. Superman that we see, I knew I had to get a reference in, Mango, um, that we had to see Batman's origin for, like, the 80th time or whatever. The reason that that complaint exists is because Batman is such a fundamental figure in the popular culture and consciousness that his backstory, right, that the founding moment of his character is ubiquitous such that everyone knows it by heart right and i think that what spider-man um in this universe in like in the 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 peter parker version of spider-man right in our world is that level and i don't think he was at that level always right sure. i think it is it, it, it this is kind of part of what i mean by like standing on the shoulders of giants right like you have to do uncle ben in the first spider-man movie no because like yeah, people know Spider-Man. Spider-Man is probably the most popular superhero, right? But, like, superheroes are just kind of, like, breaking into the mainstream. Um, and so people need to hear, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? And then you hear it again in the 2010, you know, Amazing Spider-Man reboot that was awful. But, you know, whatever. It had Martin Sheen. He was great. Um, and then by the time you get to Homecoming, by the time you get to Spider, you know, into the Spider-Verse... Like, we're there. We, we have hit that saturation point. This isn't even talking about, like, the 90s television show. Sure. Uh, the, the television show that is on right now called Ultimate Spider-Man, the spectacular Spider-Man television show, which, by the way, is one of the best superhero shows of all time um, and was, was cut down in its prime and is also very much based, by the way, on the, uh, on the Ultimate Spider-Man mythos. But so all of those things together, I think, add up to a world in which you don't need to dwell on those pieces of the continuity anymore so i i think i agree with you i don't like you know as in homecoming i don't think you need to show peter getting bitten and uncle ben dying but i do think that this movie has a slightly higher bar than that and that i think it expects you to like be vaguely familiar with like the the the, the spider verse aspects right like I, I think that like it expects you to kind of um okay so like you're you will accept um, Olivia Octav Octavius. Is that, is that what you mean? Yeah, like like that. Like, uh, so actually, I think Olivia is probably like, yeah. So like, you have to know that like Otto Octavius is a person for Olivia Octavius to make sense. Um, and I don't know if if like those aspects of the Spider-Man lore are as ubiquitous. Does that make sense? Yeah. 
Okay. That's, that's, I don't think that's like, again, I don't think that's a real grave. I think that like there is value in having a Spider-Man movie for Spider-Man fans. Um, I just think that like, that's kind of like this, the hair I want to split when it comes to homecoming, which I think is much more friendly to, um, someone who, who doesn't know all of that stuff that's just coming from it as kind of like a generalized superhero fan or a Marvel yeah. fan. Yeah. Um, and you know, like again, that, that doesn't say anything negative about this movie. It's just it's just a thing to, to to observe. I would say. No, I I think I'm on board with that, and I think I'm on board with your um with kind of your take. I I you know I think that there are some people who might be left in the dust a little bit, and they will look at and they'll be like, wait, I thought Doctor Octavius was a guy, you know, and that that's like a moment of kind of like weird confusion, and I sort of almost wonder if we've hit a point in like the cultural moment where it's just like those people are just kind of outnumbered, right? And that all of the people who are like, oh, wow, what a cool way to do Doc Ock, right? Yeah. With these, like, inflato arms or whatever, um, are just, like, you know, if you're a producer of this movie and you just go, like, okay, we're going to take that for granted here. Yeah. Um, I also don't know yeah, if, don't if know. they need to be necessarily outnumbered, right? Like, I think they just need to be, like, a big enough percentage of people that will go and watch this and be happy with it. Right, like. Yeah, I think there's a lot of there's also like a lot of little stuff that um you know I think like hardcore Spider-Man fan like for instance do you know who the gray-skinned guy that was hanging around with No, I was going to ask you was? about that. Yeah, so that that's a guy named Tombstone. He's oh. um he's oh okay so so yeah 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 in the Spider-Man uh, game Tombstone is a biker um I he's pretty clearly co- coded as I think being African American um oh really yeah yeah, yeah. And he's bald. he is yeah 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 um. I think that is a little bit of, like, an alternate universe take. Sure. Um, but Tombstone is just... Spider-Man has a huge cast of kind of organized crime figure characters. Um, and they are all uh, sort of, like, built on... The, uh, they're all kind of, like, built on this thing of, like, Spider-Man is, a, is like, a down-to-earth guy. So you... You, you have to have a, like, you have to have, like, down-to-earth opponents for him, and organized crime is a lot more down-to-earth than, like, for instance, like, the Fantastic Four are fighting, like, interdimensional galactic monsters. That's always out of place for Spider-Man to a certain extent. Uh, but, yeah, Tombstone is black. Um, I think he's albino. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he has, like, his teeth are, like, shaved or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, because he's related to, do you know Robbie Robertson, the... Um, uh, like the black guy editor that is always like talking down J. Jonah Jameson. No, I'm not familiar at all with that. I have no idea. Okay, he's just like he's just like another supporting character. Anyway, yeah, Tombstone is related to that guy, um, and he is like a famous Spider-Man character, uh, and he's been around for forever. I think he's been around since like the '80s. Um, but like, they never reference it or mention his name or anything like that. It's just like a visual thing, right? Like even like Scorpion. Right, we all understand he's Scorpion because he has like Scorpion iconography on, like all over and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I was actually a little bit, um, uh, I was actually kind of expecting to see some more of these kinds of like remixed, I guess I would call them like supervillain characters. It's not just you know the the, the Doctor Octopus. It's not just Scorpion. I was expecting to kind of see like more of like a Rogues Gallery, if that makes sense. But, yeah, yeah. You know, it is what it is, right? Yeah, I I feel like if this is successful, maybe we'll get that. Um, yeah, no, definitely. And it seems to be uh, doing pretty good. It has amazing word of mouth, obviously. Um, 
And yeah, well, now this podcast is just so you know it's just going to go through the roof. Yeah. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I'm very excited for everyone to come around to watching Into the Spider Verse solely because of our opinion on it. Um, uh, and, and they've gotten to this point of the podcast, which is 50 minutes after the spoiler warning, <laughs> <laughs> in um, order to get to the decision to go see it. Um, what was the? Uh, what was I was going to ask you something. Oh, so I know something I noticed, and I wanted to know if this was like a, a, a thing. Um, so in the Spider-Man comic that Miles is reading out of, the 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 character is named Billy. Is that like uh like like the Peter what is ostensibly supposed to be Peter the Parker. Peter Parker character is named Billy? Bill, yeah, is that like a thing? Uh, that is not a thing. But interestingly enough, the Peter Parker, the, so the Peter Parker, he pulls off his his um pulls off his mask like Peter B. Parker pulls off his mask or, or I'm sorry Miles pulls off his mask and sees that the Peter Parker in this universe has blonde hair yeah that is a reference to and I actually thought that they were going to do this without say, like I thought that they were going to be like um uh that they were going to name him as Ben Riley. Ben Riley is a really important name because uh it is oh it is it is the name of Spider-Man's clone from the clone saga in the early 90s. Todd McFarlane's like insane and overreaching and incredibly convoluted and complicated storyline about clones. Spider-Man gets cloned and the clone adopts a persona called the Scarlet Spider and the clone's name is Ben Riley. But the interesting thing about it and the like you find out that he's a clone is Ben Riley is uncle is like a portmanteau of Uncle Ben and Aunt May's maiden name. She's May Riley and then she marries Uncle Ben becomes May Parker. Um and I thought that there was going to be some kind of I I I just assumed that there was going to be some kind of like acknowledgement of that essence of the continuity um, in w when, when they pulled him off and when they pulled it off and he had blonde hair because that's because that's like the defining feature. Peter Parker is a brunette. Uh, ben Riley is a blonde. Um, and, and when you're doing this kind of like alternate universe shenanigans, I felt like that was kind of like something that they could have brought up if they wanted to. Yeah, no, absolutely. That, that, that makes that makes sense. Um, Would have been neat. Um, I assume that just like blonde Peter Parker was a thing from Ultimate. I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, yeah, no, it's not. Yeah, Peter Parker in the Ultimate Universe is just as brunette as uh, <laughs> as the rest of us. So, 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 question: um, Is there any significance to Peter B. Parker being B. Parker? Is that like a specific Peter Parker? I, I think that it might be a reference to this Ben thing. Okay, uh, but I have no idea. Okay. Um, uh. It's not even like like Peter Parker's dad is is Richard Parker. It's not even like a reference. I was trying to think of like like Billy. Is there some other like Billy thing? Like no, yeah. it's just yeah, yeah. Um, um, but uh, but yeah. Um, so like before we run out of time in this segment, I wanted to ask you something that I had no. So first, I wanted to say that the post credit scene is probably the best scene in any superhero movie that I have ever seen yeah, basically. at all. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Uh, um, who is that Spider-Man? Oh, man, yeah, no, so th that's also an interesting thing, because I know that Spider-Man, and I felt like nobody in the audience knew. So that is Spider-Man 2099, his name is Miguel, um, 2099 was, like, a another, like, kind of elsewhere, this is what, this is what, um, uh, 
the like the Marvel sort of like alternate universe kind of like imprint is like these elsewhere titles. Um, and there's a bunch of different 2099s. Um, like there's Punisher 2099, and I think there's like Captain America 2099. Um, and these are just like a, like a futuristic like take on the on the character and the reason that I know Miguel the reason that I know um, Spider-Man 2099 is because he was created and written by a uh, by uh, a writer that I like it a lot named Peter David um, it is I think just a gag like this is another one of the alternate universe Spider-Man that we could have used but we did we chose not to and I'm a little bit sad about that because I always liked 2099 but like i get it it's it's not something that like took off with any of the same degree oh i, I, I thought it was supposed of, to be a sequel hook i mean maybe it is a sequel hook and if it is that would be very cool there was actually a tv show like spider-man unlimited um if you remember that tv show uh that was kind of like a spin-off of the original spider-man the animated series um in the 90s is sort of kind of loosely based on this stuff but like not quite yeah that is spider-man 2099 he is not peter parker he's not related to peter parker at all his name is miguel uh and he's cool and i don't really remember all that much about him or his stories at all okay um um i I, you know the, the the part where he goes back in time and goes into the original cartoon though is fantastic um yeah, uh, yeah no that was that it does was like the famous pointing scene funny. yeah um also like the uh-huh. like the, the during the credits there's like they do like peter parker sitting behind a desk with not peter parker spider-man sitting behind the desk with the picture behind him like they played full into the memes for that one um i definitely yeah. want to at like when i can get it on video just go through that end credit sequence because you can see that they like did like some random one-offs for the suits in between i want to see um if i can if i know any of them um, cause uh-huh. I, like I, I saw them go by, but it was too fast for me to figure out like if I knew what, what anything was, but I, I thought, I thought that ending credit sequence was something special. Um, just- yeah, no, I thought that was also, I thought that was also great. I'm actually really interested in like the memification, I guess I would call it of, um, of some of these movies that we've like, we talked about it a little bit with black Panther and there, my defense was like, it is fundamentally a like a a diegetic thing right like she is a current age teenager who consumes meme culture and that's just a small reflection of that and i'm fine with it or whatever but i sort of kind of like wonder to a certain extent about what makes a moment like that one different than a moment like spider-man into the spider-verse and even and this is a little bit of a preview because i have seen a preview of the greatest movie of the year aquaman it even pops up in aquaman and i was (laughs) and i remember like laughing and thinking it was cool but then i was also like what the fuck are we living in where like we're making these memey sort of references um i mean i i I think part of it is what we were talking about earlier in that it's like a, it's like a hyper real movie so it feels less out of place um uh like i like and in in that sense it, it makes some sense to, uh, it, whereas it's not the case for uh uh for um uh for, for black panther i also think that like i think there's an aspect of it where like it only works if you're winking at the camera when it happens if that makes sense uh-huh. right like I think the reason that I reacted so strongly, so negatively to to it happening in Black Panther is it's not like, you know, like it would have been weird if, if um, I can't remember the character's name anymore, but uh, if she had said, what are those? And then looked at the camera and like winked, right? Like, like that would have been totally off base, but like in order for it to work, I feel like it needs to be kind of like 
lampshaded in a way um, uh, in, in order for it to like feel right, right? And it happening in a post-credit scene, I think is an appropriate amount of like, you know, like recognition from the filmmaker that they're in on, like, you know, like, like enough okay. of a, a yeah. wink to the audience that it, that it works better. At least, at least. In yeah, I'm, I'm very interested to hear your take on the, on the, uh, this is like, this is like a teaser. This is the trailer for next week's episode, which is going to be the most in-demand episode of some derps talk about games, I'm sure. Um, Oh, because next week's or next week's episode is going to be on the Aquaman movie, and there is a a thing like this in Aquaman, and it is kind of neither of these, All right? right? Well. And I <laughs> we'll talk about it. I'm sure from, we will. You got to remind me to bring it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I'm sure we will, and I'm sure I'm, I don't know. I'm sure that will be an exciting episode to say the least. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Yeah. Uh, yeah. For real. I like. Do, do you have the reviews come in for uh, for Aquaman yet? Like, what? what what's, yeah. what's the... They are resoundingly positive. Uh, you know, it's got a like a 75 or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes. Who knows? Whatever. Um, I, okay. I actually agree with a lot of the reviews. The best, the, here's my spoiler-free review of Aquaman, and this is my pitch for why you should go see it. I think everybody should go see this movie. This is one of the biggest movies I feel like I've seen in a long time. It makes all of these other movies that I have thought of as big movies really small in comparison. And I don't really know how to explain this. It is six movies in one, right? And that might sound bad or like, you know, incongruous or anything, but it just like has this crazy magic to it that all of these pieces like fit well together. And I'm not even going to like, I could literally be like, it is part this part that part this, but I'm not going to do any of that. Cause I know that it would be, it would kind of like get into spoilery territory because people would make inferences, but yeah, it is the, it is the biggest movie I feel like I've seen in a long time. Maybe the biggest movie since like Batman vs Superman or like Man of Steel, which I also think of as very like, or even Wonder Woman. I mean, it, it is well in the it is well in the vein of the kind of like mythic level DC movies um, where things are just huge. Um, and I and I I don't know. I I love that. I thought that. All of that stuff was, I thought that all of that stuff was great. It's got breathtaking action. It was really funny. Um, and it was a roller coaster. I literally, I got out of the movie and I turned to Rachel and I said, I am exhausted <laughs> just by like running. Like, it's just, uh, I don't know. It's just so much, uh, there's so much that goes on and there's so much that like happens. And it's like coming out of like Jurassic Park the first time or something or like one of these kind of like movies that, you know, really gets you, uh, you know, riding the roller coaster um, in the theater. So that's my spoiler, spoiler free take on Aquaman. It is far and away my favorite movie of the year. I cannot believe in our Black Panther review, I said that it would be impossible for Aquaman to reach these levels. I was such a liar, you guys. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> um, I'm super excited to talk about it. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited wait. to see it. I actually, um, something I've never done before, I booked D-Box tickets for this. Oh, nice. Yeah, I've actually heard that D-Box is very cool. Uh, Larry, friend of the pod, Larry says that D-Box is, uh, is a really neat way to go see movies. Yeah, so I'll, I'll have uh, I'll have a review of that I guess next week as well. See, um, um, I'm I'm happy to hear that it's. I feel like I have heard that the D box is best with like epic scope movies, right? Like you're not going to use D box to go see like three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri. Um, yeah. Uh, so you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, no, that yeah, that's real. Um, 
so yeah um but we're uh we're, we're deep into like the the back half now um uh, so let's, let's have you go first. How, how was your week besides Aquaman? Uh, so, the, so yeah, besides patch, Aquaman, right? the, the big thing this, that happened this week is the release of patch 8.1. Um, uh, it's called Tides of Vengeance. Um, I don't, I just feel so at odds with like the World of Warcraft community. Maybe it's just because like the WoW subreddit has kind of like, I, I think that there's something to this idea that the WoW subreddit has kind of like descended into some... Uh, and kind of, like, self-selected for a certain amount of sort of, like, frustrated toxicity regarding the game. Just, like, everybody is constantly bitching about the game in that subreddit. Um, and if you are someone who has positive feelings about the game, like... Like, my entire guild, who doesn't go on Reddit and doesn't see this stuff, um, seems to be enjoying the expansion, like, you know, just fine. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I love, Tide, like, this Tides of Vengeance, all of this WoW stuff. It is so cool to see the faction leaders be like the main characters in the ongoing world of warcraft storyline and that it is entirely tied into their identity right like as like leaders of factions right so the big thing that happens in 8.1 is that taronda and the night elves return to darkshore um because they are going to reclaim their homeland from uh from the forsaken so there's this like forsaken versus night elf uh like questing kind of content um and then there's the new warfront that is the first warfront is arathi um in the arathi highlands and is orcs versus humans like very classic and this is the scourge versus night elves in warcraft 3 terms the forsaken versus the uh versus the night elves but like i just have a really easy time of kind of like getting into it and like riding the roller coaster um which i feel like other people don't have an easy time doing because they don't they can't like in a way, they have a harder time sort of separating out of their one character and their one perspective as a player on the story and on, like, the ethics of the Warcraft universe. Um, and so, uh, and so like, like, I in... I played through the the Horde side where you're fighting with Nathanos Blightcaller against Tyrande, right? And I was just like, yeah, fuck you, you pretentious moon bitch. Like, you know, like I was getting I was getting into it, you know, just from fighting uh fighting these fighting these night elves. And then I went and I immediately played the Alliance side and I was like, you horde scum, I'm gonna burn you alive. Like, you know, like I, I have a really easy time getting into this stuff and I feel like I'm the only one who ever does that. Uh it seems like a lot of the time I see a lot of these arguments about like, oh, the the night elves are chumps and the forsaken are cool or the forsaken are you know chumps and the night elves are cool and all this kind of stuff when i which in a way sort of like i almost kind of think it's like a good thing because it means people are like taking the universe and like the stakes and everything seriously but like they're also getting very competitive about it which i think is like kind of the wrong point of view to have so um, i i think i think that the the issue is is that People identify very strongly with one faction, and Blizzard encourages that, right? Like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. ads around BFA were like a dude with a horde patch that sees like a girl with like an alliance patch and goes like won't like sit next to her on the bus or something, right? Like that's like you know like that, that's like definitely a part of like what World of Warcraft is is that factionalism, especially since like it's the only game that really offers that. Like every other game is does not have 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 the multiple factions at least right yeah. right now. Um, some... and, and even those that do, I feel like they don't play up the faction conflict in the same way, right? Like, World of Warcraft has 
30 years of continuity of like bad blood to kind of like draw on. And I also think that people with a one faction playstyle are well within their rights to do that, right? Like, but I, but there's a certain kind of, um, I, I almost want to call it like an insecurity that I feel like comes out. Um, when the, and this kind of surrounded the the talk about like the dark shore warfront which is essentially that like Toronto goes through this crazy ritual she turns herself into the night warrior which is like the super powerful vengeful aspect of the god the moon goddess Alun and then she goes and she fights Nathanos right um and they they cut they like they fight to a standstill and basically there was this eruption among the alliance player base who were like you know, Taronda is this, you know, crazy powerful. She's the chosen of Valoon. She just went through this ritual, right? And she can't hold up to a dead guy with a fucking bow and arrow. Like, this is bullshit. And I actually kind of think that that is a correct assumption in a certain sense. Like, yeah, Nathanos Blightcaller isn't on the same power level as Taronda. But I feel like the natural endpoint of a story where Taronda just wipes the floor with Nathanos is super shitty. Right. And just tells Horde players that they're also shitty people because like he is the Horde surrogate in this situation. Right. And that like there's a weird paradox where like you want players to identify with the factions, but you can never really have like one faction claim a true victory over the other. It always kind of has to be these like these like give and take sort of bittersweet shades of gray. And it is hard to pull that stuff off. Um and, uh, and I, like, and I don't know, like, uh, you know, people were talking about one of the, one of the things about, um, the Horde side is you're running around with a Valkyr and you're resurrecting, uh, night elves that died in the War of the Thorns and turning them into a new series of Dark Rangers, right? And that, like, and the capstone is that, um, Dalaran Summermoon, who is the ranger in Sylvanas's cinematic, who she's like, you can't kill Hope. And she's like, can't I? Like, that ranger gets rezzed and joins the Forsaken, and then also a warden named uh, Sira something um, also gets rezzed and joins the Forsaken, and they are the faction leaders of um, the Darkshore Warfront, right? Um, and people were really mad about that. Like, people were, really, like, pissed about that. And they were like, you know, how can the, the like, the Night Elves would never do this, right? They died defending their place from Sylvanas. Why would they ever become... You know, why would, like, they ever kind of become Forsaken? And I kind of understand that to a certain extent. And, like, but I think that the core part of this is that that is the Night Elf view on a Forsaken kind of situation, in a way. And I think it is well within, like, it is part of the Forsaken power fantasy, essentially, that Forsaken, you know return people from the dead and they join the forsaken right and that there is a choice there they willingly do so there's, there's not like mind control or anything like that there's quests and cataclysm that talk about this um and and that like the night elf player who wants all night elves to be perfectly you know kind of like uh defiant in the face of their own resurrection um <clears throat> all night elves who all night of players who want that are essentially trying to rob the forsaken players of their empowerment fantasy in the same way that if the forsaken were like wow it's such bullshit that you know in the in the quest scenario the night elves keep coming out of nowhere and attacking me because they're all stealthed and like hunting me through the forest or whatever because that being stealthed and hunting someone through the forest is like the night elf fantasy do you know what i mean yeah i i, I think i think we've talked about this a little bit before but I, I think part of the fundamental problem too is that 
the the kind of like the the scourge or the the, the undead kind of mechanics of coming back to life never really get like like I think this might be the first time that like those problems have ever had a light shown on them right like it's yeah. always been kind of like anonymous people and so like it's not there's not too much weight to whether or not they choose to come back or not um and if there has been weight it's been in a place where it's very clear why they wanted to do that right like like Sylvanas was was against her will i believe right um and uh and like uh kind of major players like have reasons for wanting to be angry about it right like i uh was it Lillian Voss? I think like initially rejects it, right, and then comes around. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, and those are all kind of like, like arcs, right? For lack of a better term, or like they're mm-hmm. or they're like characters who are inconsequential, whether or not they choose or not. And I think that that's like, I think it's a real problem for the for kind of like the stakes of the lore in that like, in that like if someone who is so so dedicated to the uh, to the night elves, um, is willing to turn on a dime like that. What does that say about like the power of the scourge? It kind of like how, yeah. like beggars' belief that. Yeah, like, I also and, and see the other thing is, and I I suggested <laughs> I had an argument with somebody about this who's like a night elf player, uh, and they got very mad when I suggested this. I actually think that the solution to this problem is to show the night elves as unaccepting right this is kind of how they get around they got around it in the first place right the first humans that the forsaken ever interact with are the scarlet crusade so it's not like you know no forsaken gets rezzed and is like you know like or, or sorry no scarlet crusader who gets rezzed is going to look and go back and be like, oh, hey, welcome me back to the Scarlet Crusade. No, the Scarlet Crusade fucking hate undead and they're going to target you just like anything else. And so, like, there's a certain amount of, like, you are forsaken because when you die, you are literally, you know, the true definition of the word forsaken by, like, your people, right? Even Stormwind didn't accept back um, the, you know, like, the forsaken or anything along those lines. And I was kind of hoping that we would see some of that from the Night Elves, right? Like, a Night Elf Ranger would get resurrected and then kind of initially rebuke the Horde, right? But then a bunch, but then all of her Ranger friends start, like, peppering her with arrows or whatever, right? Because they are just as prejudiced as the Scarlet Crusade was in the first place. And I think that they have every right to be, obviously, right? Yeah. Like, the Forsaken literally committed genocide against their people. Um, and so, like, I was kind of hoping for something along, like, those lines. But then you, but then the Night Elf player says, I don't, you know, obviously the Night Elves would never do that, right? They would never be so, like, unaccepting. They would never be so, like, dogmatic and kind of zealous. And I'm a little bit like, Wait, is, isn't know, that, like, part of... The night, like that, that feels like a very night. Nice that's exactly. I don't know. That's exactly what I said. Maybe I'm just like relitigating an argument I had with somebody to a certain extent, and we were just like too deep in the argument to really like come to like come to terms with this sort of thing. I also think part of it is just that like we have to accept that like faction leaders are about the same power level, right? Right. Yeah. Bane Bloodhoof is just a warrior, and Velen is a twenty-five thousand-year-old prophet who masterminded the defeat of the Legion or whatever else, right? But you better believe that if Bane Bloodhoof gets in a fight with Prophet Velen, I want that to be a fair fight, you know? As a Torin player, I don't want to watch the kind of player surrogate, like the surrogate for all Torin people, just be like curb stomped because, you know, when we were fighting the Legion, the you know, like, Velen was written to be, like, whatever, like, a superpower, uh, yeah. and now that he has to kind of come back down to Earth, 
right? Like we can't, we can't kind of address that. I think that this is a problem with a lot of Alliance leaders, to be honest. Um, a lot of the Horde faction leaders, basically all of the Horde faction leaders, except for Sylvanas, are just kind of guys, right? You've got Bane, right? You've got Gallywix, who's just rich, you know, there's not a lot special about him besides that. Um, you've got Sourfang, who is just a warrior. That's his whole thing, right? He has no magic. He's not Thrall. Um, Thrall and Vol'jin are both gone. So I kind of feel like that's like a part of the, that's like a part of this is to a certain extent, Blizzard has painted themselves into a corner by upping the power of the different, um, of the different faction leaders in different ways. So such that like the idea that Nathanos Blightcaller could stand toe to toe with Tyrande and Malfurion Stormrage is like a travesty. I, I, I think maybe one of the missteps here was like having um, Tyrande do like whatever this ritual you talked about was. Cause I feel yeah. like that probably like throws fuel on the, a, a lot of fuel on that fire. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit better. People were mad about it initially, but I actually feel like it plays out pretty well um, because Nathanos gets away. They're fighting over, like, they're fighting over the resurrection of Sira and of uh, and Delarin, and Sira and Delarin get resurrected and kind of like turn the tides. It's like this group of them um, essentially, and. Tyrande kills one of the Valkyr. Sylvanas only has nine, and a bunch of them have died so far. Um, I think she only has three left. Um, and uh, and so. Um, it puts us in this position, I guess, um, of uh, where, where, like, it looks like on on the tables, like, so, like, Taranda wasn't powerful enough. But you actually go through a whole scenario where she, like, she walks into this, like, forsaken settlement and just completely kills everybody except for one guy and she's like tell my story you know like that like badass thing and you're running around in this whole scenario kind of like chasing after her and seeing all the devastation that she brings um and then she kills the valkyr and she's like you know i feel pretty good <clears throat> she's like you know i feel pretty good about a valkyr but we, the thing that we accomplished today is we created a beachfront uh, like a spearhead for our armies to take back Darkshore, and then you immediately transition into the Darkshore Warfront, where you are the Night Elves attacking the Forsaken power base in the area. And so, like, in all of that context, it actually doesn't feel as bad. Okay. And I think it's kind of taken a little bit out of context when people are just like, well, she couldn't beat Nathanos. Well, she, you know... I mean, yeah, but she got Nathanos to retreat off of the shore and then got on a hippogriff and was like, okay, now, and the army of the Black Moon forms and they attack everybody. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Maybe I'm not enough of a Night Elf player uh, to, like, I don't know. I try and keep above sort of these, like, factional factional things because at the end of the day, it's all made up. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? Fair enough. It's kind of like who, asking a question of, like, who would win, Obi-Wan or Batman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, makes sense. Uh, all right. Anyway, what's going on with you? Tell me about your life. Uh, so, you know, uh, the first thing I want to bring up is, uh, uh, as of this morning, the uh, super best friends who were, uh, at least in part, uh, my inspiration for wanting to kind of this, uh, have decided to end their show effective immediately. So that has made me very sad all day today. Um, uh, I highly recommend you guys go check out some of their content. Um, there's nine years of it to go through if you like it. Uh, Jesus, nine years. Yeah, um, yeah, they've been doing it for a while, um, and you know this is very sudden. Uh, as of their last podcast, they were talking about the videos they were going to record. So this obviously happened very quickly. Um, uh, so you know, um, uh, the two of them, Pat and Willie, are going to continue doing the podcast. So maybe details will be forthcoming. 
Um, just a thing that I wanted to shout out because I've been a big fan of them for, I think, most of those nine years. Um, you know, it's a sad day on, on that kind of front. Um, otherwise, um, I've been uh, playing a lot of Smash Brothers, um, World of Light almost exclusively. Um, and I what uh, I'm sorry I don't I don't know any of like the Smash Brothers content. What is World of Light? World of Light is the kind of single player campaign mode, um, and it's not great. Um, uh, so the thing the, the, is this the adventure mode that yeah, I've heard about. Basically, okay. Yeah, basically. Um, so like the the conceit is that you're fighting these spirits that are and um, the spirits are uh, like they're like from all sorts of different video games. Um, and the the way it works is is that uh, each fight you have is like an embodiment of that spirit. They do a like a couple of different mechanics that make it seem like it's that spirit, right? Like flicks to the spirit for like uh uh for like who's a good example like Waddle D, which is like an, a basic enemy in uh in Kirby. Um, uh, right, right, right. Uh, will or not Waddle D, uh, the one with the eye beam, right? Like that, that the the it's like a bunch of red colored Kirby's with super scopes, right? So, you know, it's neat. It evokes what that character is. I think it's like a really cool way to do it. Um, but you know, it gets tedious after a while. The other thing is that not all of the characters are unlocked from the beginning, and like unlike in say a game like in like the like the subspace emissary, which was like the the um. The Brawl, uh, I think it was yeah, Brawl. Yeah, yeah, I remember that from Brawl. Yeah, uh, which kind of pioneered this format that a lot of other games do, which is like you play through different characters as you progress through the story as because they kind of tie into it. There's no real need for that, right? Like there's not a lot of tie-in. Like the, the, the story is very minimal. Um, and so I've just kind of been aggravated because I've been playing as a character that I'm not a super big fan of because I am, like, I'm pretty sure I'm like three quarters of the way through the story and like I just haven't unlocked my character yet. Um, and it's not the same unlock system for the regular game, right? Like, I've unlocked all the characters for the... Uh, and which is your character? Is that Incineroar? Uh, Ganondorf. Oh, Ganondorf, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, also, I would like is. to play with Incineroar. I just unlocked Yeah, no, I remember we talked about Incineroar. Yeah. Um, I just unlocked K-Roll in, in this mode. Um, and what I should be doing is going and playing the regular modes and then just doing that and not caring about it. But I, w- I want to finish it out, just to kind of say I did. Um but uh, uh, I also am not a fan of the fact that it was all that, that all the extra characters were locked from the beginning. I think that's an old trope that doesn't really need to be in fighting games anymore. I get oh really? Content. I actually I do like that trope, but I do think that it should be like what? Because I, yeah, I remember there were a couple of characters that were locked in the original Smash Brothers, so it wasn't very many. It was like four of the twelve, right? Yeah. And I feel like that's a pretty good ratio, um, especially when they are sort of like specialty characters. So like it gives you something to like work for, but like you still have like a big meaty roster to work with. I feel like in Brawl, in like Melee, and in Brawl, there were a lot more characters who were locked, and and some of them were locked behind like really crazy things. Like I felt like it, it took forever to unlock Wolf, for instance. Yeah. So, the uh, uh, you start out with the original eight unlocked, and there are seventy four characters in this. So you know. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. actually kind of bullshit. I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> um. So like I I also don't I think for like a game that is primarily a multiplayer fighting game I don't think having things like I'm okay with it in concept being locked for the adventure mode. Cause like, that's part of what that is. I just think it's poorly executed in this current adventure mode. Um, uh, and it doesn't have the same like weird unlocking requirements that they did in the earlier games. Right. It's like one every 10 minutes, literally like you can back out. Um, like as soon as 10 minutes has passed, a new challenger approaching will, will pop and you can go fight it and unlock a new character. Um, oh, okay. So for the multiplayer mode, I have all the characters unlocked. Um, but it was just, that was kind of tedious, right? It was, 
It was literally me sitting down and playing World of Light and then putting a timer on my phone and after 10 minutes and lapsed, backing out, fighting the Challenger fight and going back into to Challenger mode, hitting the 10-minute ti timer again and uh, going and playing again. Um, so, you know. And having to do that for 66 characters total? Yeah, uh, not quite because you could unlock, like, through when you unlock a character in World of Light, it also gets unlocked in the outer game. But if you unlock it in okay. the outer game, it doesn't unlock in World of Light. So... It was a slightly better ratio than that, but it wasn't great. Um, but yeah, I was not a, I was not a super huge uh, fan of that. Um, but I, you know, it's a Smash game. It's a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to playing it with the playing some multiplayer uh, going forward. Um, the last thing I wanted to talk about was uh, did you hear this announcement about um, about uh, Heroes of the Storm? They're like significant. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. They discontinued the Blizzard. Um, God, what are they called? Heroes of the Whatever, Dorm. Whatever the esports. Yeah, yeah, Heroes of the Dorm and like the 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 esports like championship, global yeah, yeah. championship or something like that. And they moved a couple of the devs to 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 other teams. Yeah. So Heroes of the Storm is getting pulled back on. Uh, the speculation around this is this is because of um, uh, like essentially you can't like the speculation is is that recently the Chinese. Um, the, the Chinese like censors like the the they're like a member of the propaganda board. It's like the oh yeah yeah title. no I saw that yeah yeah the, like the, twenty games or whatever yeah um that's not like the exact content of those games are not confirmed but the speculation is that they they that Heroes of the Storm is not going to be allowed going forward and so like that the um, you know the tinfoil conspiracy is that the the execs at Activision have said to Blizzard. You no longer get to develop this game because we're not going to make the big Chinese money. Go make something else. Um, I I actually kind of feel like, not that this is the natural state, because I do feel for like the Heroes of the Storm subreddit and all of like the people there. But Heroes is a game that gets like a good amount of activity in play, um, and I feel like that pushing it to be an esport was kind of the wrong move. And I do think that Heroes of the Dorm um, and getting rid of the in kind of like. You know what I mean? Some games are just not esports, and sure. some games are just kind of party games, um, and that's okay. And, um, you know, I feel like you can let Overwatch League, and you can let, you know, WoW fucking Mythic Time Trials, which is the weirdest esport ever, but it's the, the WoW esport now. Um, or you can allow, or you, or you can, you know, have like, Hearthstone obviously is like a big esport, right? Um, but, um, yeah, I just kind of feel like the proper place for Heroes of the Storm is kind of as like a party game for you and your friends and not like a super hyper competitive game trying to be League of Legends. The thing that I like about Heroes of the Storm is that it's not League of Legends, right? Um, you, you know you know who you sound like? You sound like like a Smash fanboy who's mad that people oh, play really? Smash. Like that, that is like a big – this is like a big thing that like – the developer of Smash was like, I hate that people play it seriously. That's why he put yeah, uh, tripping that, in yeah. Brawl. Um, but, like, uh, the – it's – so, one, I don't think that, like, you know, necessarily – so 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 my lesson from all of this, because part of this is that, like, a bunch of uh, esports teams um, basically closed shop off of this because, like, they, they weren't warned ahead of time and they have nothing to do now. So, like, well, I guess we're done. Um, and I think that the, the thing that I want to take – that I kind of – Taking, or taking out of this is that I think it's kind of a mistake for developers to own these esports leagues 
because um, they're kind of like driven by those incentives. I think this is one, one the one thing that the FGC has over traditional esports is oh, that oh yeah, all of the esports are not owned in house. Yeah, like like Capcom yeah, runs some of its own tournaments, but the big ones are all independent, right? Evo is is run by like uh, like a guy called Mister Wizard, I think his name is, um, and he runs an individual. Like he doesn't, you know, he obviously there's more than just him on it, but like you know, it's not tied to any of these in the games individually, and so they're, they're you know. A business, a, a overarching business decision does not sink the entire esport, um, and I think that's the the direction that um, that they should be looking. That or like just I guess diversifying into different games. That way, if one company decides to drop their esports, they're not totally sunk. I don't know. I just feel like this was going to happen at some point. That some game was going to like close up shop in a, a real like esports. People who had, you know, like, put their lives into this thing are no longer going to be able to, like, make their livelihood off of it. Um, and it sucks, especially if, like, any of... The, like, I don't know about any of the players, but I could easily see that, like, maybe some of them, you know, quit didn't go to college because of this, right? And, like, you know, you know, you know, you know caveat emptor or whatever, but, uh, but you know, you, having it be in the hands of a business whose primary concern isn't the survival of the or is, isn't the survival of the sport it's like the the product that backs the sport i think is is, is inevitably inevitably going to lead to these kinds of things and i don't i think you'd be foolish to um be a, a an e-athlete in that kind of situation right like i, I think like if yeah if, if overwatch league you know suddenly does it isn't making enough money this this happens to them too right there's no reason for it not to um and you know uh, that would be sad. It's it's great that Blizzard's willing to put money into it, but like, I think I think it wants to be a little bit more uh, more homegrown, I guess, a, a, as it were, or at least kind of like, you know, not so dependent on Chinese buy-in, which is like, you know, yeah, yeah, is a weird thing to say, but like, it, it appears it, it, if these rumors are true, which they might not be, but if these rumors are true, then it's like. The whims, like the whims of, or, or this esports survives on the whims of the Chinese government, which is not a bet that I ever would want to take, um, just because of, of of the way that they they, they view uh, kind of like censorship and whatnot. Um, I don't know. Seems like a shitty situation. You have any other thoughts? Um, you know, it's it's tough. I feel like there is space in Blizzard's roster for, like, a slow burn game like Heroes of the Storm that's not releasing tons and tons of new content. You're putting in a new hero every once in a while, and I feel like that is the kind of, that's the kind of core of it. Um, maybe this is part, I, I actually think part of this is just the relationship that I have with Heroes of the Storm and that, like, my friends have with Heroes of the Storm who are people that don't know, you know, like, the meta is something that doesn't exist in Heroes as much as it does in other um, in other esports, and I think that that's a plus. Um, I, so I so, think it does exist. I think we just don't play it that way. No, I, I, it definitely does exist. I just mean in the league, or even Hearthstone is like defined by the meta, right? Like, and that the meta, the meta is like the kind of end all be all. And I think that there is more room compared to those sorts of games um, for you know in in Heroes of the Storm um, because I don't, because you know I think it's competitive, right? But I don't think that it is hyper competitive in the same way that um you know something like league or uh you know dota 2 or anything kind of along yeah. like i i'm not bragging about my rank in heroes of the storm to anybody i don't i don't think that's the game i i, 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 th I think the kind of like 
operative thing there is that quick play enables that. I don't think there's like a, like quick play lets you pick your hero ahead of time and just kind of go right and like play like yeah, a, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know what is essentially a very non-focused, non-team focused way, which is kind of like anathema to a lot of mobas. Um, and because it enables that style of play, whenever you play quick play, you're playing with those types of people, and that's fine, right? Like for people who want to enjoy that. Um, whereas League doesn't really have that option, so your only choice is to play semi-seriously, and so it drives. So I, I see what you're saying. I, I think I agree to a certain extent. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? Uh, no, I think that's I think that's it. All right. Well, if you'd like to email us and tell us what you think about... Uh, um, uh, the what is into the spider verse? Wow, um, or uh, or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can email us at subdivisionplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdivisionplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subdivisionplaygames. We still haven't set the final date for uh, Hell's Rebels, but we will soon. Um, right, buddy? Right, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, fuck, fuck uh, my whole life, you guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> And uh, you can find us on iTunes. Uh, leave us a review, uh, and, and if, if if you'd be so kind to leave us comments. Uh, I think that's uh, everything I had. Buddy, did you have anything else you wanted to promote? I have nothing else I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.